Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together and have some great people helping us along the way. Now, most little kids have big emotions, but they don't come with a guidebook that tells us how to cope with those emotions, how to set boundaries before, during, or after big emotions, how to deal with transitions that bring up big emotions, and how to cope with conflict that triggers big emotions. Understanding kids and feelings while understanding the role we play in helping our kids manage those emotions can make a big difference. We've talked to Dr. Lynn Kenny and Karen Young, Mona Delahook, Dr. Laura Markham, and Wendy Young about children and feelings in the past. Today, we're going to dive into how to help kids cope with big emotions in specific situations that are common but often derailing for parents and kids. How do we manage emotions when our children aren't getting what they want in a moment? How do we manage emotions when there's a transition or a new situation about to take place? How do we deal with emotions when sibling rivalry is rampant? For all of this, we're turning to Alyssa Blask-Campbell. Alyssa is the founder and CEO of Seed and Sow, an organization committed to giving parents, teachers, and caregivers the tools to raise emotionally intelligent humans. Seed and Sew offers a one-of-a-kind certification program for child care centers and home-based providers through the Schools Excelling in Emotion Development Seed Certification. An emotional development expert with a master's degree in early education, Alyssa co-created the Collaborative Emotion Processing Method, that's the SEP method, which is unique in how it equips adults to be mindful of their own emotional intelligence so that they can show up for the kids in their lives in a productive way. As an early childhood educator and parent, Seed and So provides the tools that Alyssa needed but never had. An in-person and online community where parents and educators can find the support they need to do the work for themselves and with tiny humans. You can find out more information at seedandso.org. Welcome, Alyssa Blass-Campbell, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Hey, I'm so jazzed to be here with you today. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to have you. Before we jump into the main topic, which I know is of interest to so many people, can you tell us what gets you up in the morning and what got you so interested in helping little kids to manage big emotions? Yeah, as you were saying in that intro there, I didn't get these tools growing up. And I have incredible parents who did the best they could with the tools they have, right? They didn't grow up getting these tools. And my friend, Dr. Lynetta Willis describes it as a relay race where our grandparents passed the baton to our parents who ran the race and passed the baton to us. And then we're running the race and we're going to pass the baton to our kids. And the goal is that like on our leg of the race, we shift some of these things. I'm not going to hand the baton to my child and be like, I healed and changed everything (laughs) that was challenging for my childhood. Fabulous. Here you go. go. It's It's perfect. perfect. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's what I look at it as like they, and so for me, as I was building some of these tools and then simultaneously working in early ed and noticing like, oh, so much of this social emotional curriculum, like, cool, didn't have it, like wasn't Mm -hmm. taught it. So I understand it in a workshop. I understand it conceptually. And then when I go to put it into practice, I open my mouth and my mom comes out, right? And like sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, who just said that? (laughs) I'm like, sometimes it's great. Mm -hmm. Sometimes like, yes, I want to carry this on. And sometimes I've spent a lot of therapy dollars to try and not carry that on. Mm -hmm. And it really was like, okay, all of this, like on paper sounds good, but I needed tools for what do I actually do so that when I open my mouth, like it's me with intention that comes out, it's 
Alyssa who's getting to choose. I'm not responsible for that first thought, that first reaction, but I am responsible for the second one or for that action. And it was really looking at like, how do I do that? How do I build those tools that help me dive into this work originally? I think that's so interesting and, and, and really insightful we sometimes have like a joke in our house where like, if I say something that my mother would have said, my, my husband will turn to me and I'm like, and thank you, Joan. You're like, oh, there's your mom, you know? And you're like <laughs> actually recognizing it because it's, it's so inborn in you. It's just like ingrained in you. I, I just posed recently a question on my professional Facebook site um, under Dr. Robin Silverman. And it's, it, that's a, it brings in a lot of people um, from all walks of life, like people talking. And the question was related to um, how did you versus your parents deal with tantrums? And of course, it's like, you know, it's extremely polarizing, but, you know, you've got some that are like, we were not allowed to have tantrums. So we didn't. Um, or we, you know, you hear about the uh, the switches and the, um, and the belts. Um, we have had all kinds of answers to that question, but a, a lot of it was like, we were not allowed to, so we didn't, um, under, you know, under that, like we were seen, not heard kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So can we jump into the topic of tantrum? Speaking of how you just presented this, like, we're not going to just be passing this baton because as much as we don't want our kids to have tantrums, you know, that's not fun for us. The sort of stifling emotion, which is what I feel like the subtext to all of that was, um, like we were not allowed, um, is not healthy either. So when our children aren't getting what they want in a particular moment, the toy that they want, the candy they want, they don't, you know, they wanted to stay at the swimming pool like they wanted to watch the extra show that they wanted. How do we help our children deal with the disappointment and frustration that comes with it, those big feelings so that they either don't erupt into the big tantrum or can cope when they do flip into it? Yeah. Um, so you're right. A lot of us like didn't grow up in households where it was welcomed and it was either punished or like shamed. Like that's emotional. It's dramatic, blah, blah, blah. Like stop being whatever. And so we learned like, I'm just not safe to feel that here. Like you're not a person I can turn to for those big things. And what I'm hearing from you right now is like, how do we build resilience in kids? How do we help them know? Like, you're not always going to get what you're, what you want. And that's a part of life. And how do you navigate that skill set? Like, how do you build that skill set of, what do you do when yeah you're disappointed or you're frustrated? And that happens for me all the time as an adult. Every single day, there are things that I wish I could have or I want that I don't get to have. So I think of it as a skill set to build for them. And I'm looking at it as resilience. And with kids, I want to first let them know that it makes sense to feel what they're feeling. And it's literally sometimes just saying like, yeah, I get that. That makes sense less so about like, say these exact words as like, just understand where they're coming from. And you don't have to agree with why they're feeling what they're feeling. Like if a kid's block tower crashes because a sibling comes in and knocks it down for you, that might be just like not a big deal, right? Like you can build it again, whatever. But if I take a step back and I think about the other day when I folded all the laundry in my living room and had piles out and my toddler came in and knocked down all my piles, if somebody came into me and said like, oh, don't worry, you can build it again or you can fold it again, like, right? Like I would fill with fury, like, oh, Mm -hmm. cool, great, not helpful. I don't want to fold it again. That Mm -hmm. misses the point. And so when we're looking at kids in these instances where they're not getting what they want, for us, the thing that they aren't getting or that they want to do that they can't have might seem like it's not a big deal. And it's truly just not our job to decide if they should feel what they're feeling. They are feeling it. And so when we can do the adult work of that, then we can show up and just connect. Like, I get that. You, excuse me, you really wanted to play longer outside and it's time to go in for dinner. 
I get that. Sometimes I get really into something when I'm doing at work and I don't want to leave. I'm having a lot of fun with what I'm doing. Or the other night I went out to dinner with your dad and we were having a really good time. And then we knew that we had to get back. The babysitter had to leave and it was hard to leave. We were having fun, like just giving them those connections. Like I get what it's like to feel that, um, and, and connecting first. And that often can be such a game changer and then diffusing the situation because their nervous system starts to say like, okay, you get it. I feel seen. I can calm for a minute. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I know you talk about those calming techniques. Of course, we can't swing into those without seeing our child first. And of course, you know, you don't say the Hey, calm down. Like you, you that because that definitely doesn't work. Um, <laughs> tried and failed. Um, so, what when you say like then you can move into calming? Like what what might that look like if the child has gotten really frustrated mm-hmm. and they're maybe yelling or they may be crying or uh, shutting down? Yeah. So I have boundaries around expression. You are allowed to feel frustrated and sad. I won't let you hurt my body. Mm-hmm. Our boundaries in our household are uh, respect of all bodies and things. So I won't let you throw a mug across the room. I won't let you hurt your body. I won't let you hurt my body. I won't let you hurt anybody else's body. In the same way that I won't let anyone else in our household hurt your body. Like it's my job to provide the safety. And so that's our number one boundary. And our number two boundary is no name callings, mm-hmm. including yourself. I'm so stupid. You made a stupid choice. Um, so those are our two boundaries. And every household will create their boundaries around what are the rules for expression. And then everything else is a fair, is fair game. You're allowed to cry. I don't care if you're three years old, you're 13 years old, you're 33 years old, you're allowed to cry is one of the rules in our household, mm-hmm. right? So for us, it's setting those boundaries first. I won't let you hurt my body. Oh, you're so frustrated. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to let them know that I'm there to help them if they need to move their body. So we separate emotion, emotional regulation and nervous system regulation. This is going to get a little nerdy, mm-hmm. um, but I nervous like system, <laughs> great. <laughs> the nervous system, we're looking at like, you're, you don't have access to your whole brain when you're in the heat of the moment, right? You're in that fight, flight, freeze, fawn mode. And it's called your amygdala that's activated. And we want to help kids regain access to that whole brain, be able to access language like I feel, or I need, uh, and they can't do that in the moment. And so for us, we're connecting first, which signals to the nervous system. Oh, this person gets it. They're a safe person. And then I'm going to co-regulate with them with these calming tips. So it might be moving their body. Uh, for some kids, it's like they need to, I was working with a six-year-old the other day who really needs to like move. And so we ran down and touched the fence. We were outside and came back. And then I was like, Oh, I don't know if I feel ready to talk about this yet. Let's run down again. I bet you I can beat you. And so then we were racing, right? And so Mm -hmm. we're not talking about the behavior right now or even the feelings. I'm helping their body get to a place where they can even talk about it, where they can access that. Uh, And sometimes in the moment for us as adults, it might feel like we're giving in to something or we are giving attention to something. And what we know is that when a kid has a need, whether it's an emotional need or a nervous system, like their body needs food or is tired or uh, needs movement until that need is met, they're going to keep asking in ways that are usually really annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not like, hi, I have a need. Can you please help me? They're I like, I'm hitting my, my sibling. <laughs> right. <Yes. laughs> they're like, I'm hitting my sibling or I'm throwing this thing or I'm screaming something that is really frustrating for the adult. And so until we meet that need, we're not going to see a shift there outside of the moment. We can talk way outside the moment. We can talk about the behavior and other ways that they can express that in the moment. But right now in the actual moment, I want to help them move their body or get that need met. So if they're hungry, I'm not going to like sit out there and emotion coach them outside. I'm going to say like, yep we're going to probably have crying while we go inside and get a little food in your system, because then you'll be able to access this language. Um, we're going to try and meet that need first. And a lot of the times it's movement, food, or sleep. Mm, mm, mm. Okay. So that's really important. And you talk about putting, uh, some emotion, emotional regulation in the bank, like actually scheduling in deposits, knowing that there will be 
withdrawals. Can you explain what that means here and maybe some examples of each? A hundred percent. Yeah. This is like the key to doing this work. We call it your sensory bank. When we say the word sensory, we're talking about your nervous system as a whole. So you know how, like when kids wake up in the morning, we're not like, we'll just wait until they're hangry and then we'll feed them. Like <laughs> oh. that would be bonkers, right? Like <laughs> And instead we stay ahead of it. We give them breakfast. We give them snack. We give them lunch. We give them snack. We give them dinner. There's so much food, so many meal plannings. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we stay ahead of this. We pour proactively into their nervous system. So they don't get to the place of being hangry. We have eight sensory systems. And so we want to pour into the nervous system as a whole throughout the day. We do that with sleep, making sure that if it's a kid who gets a nap, that they get that throughout the day. We do it with food and we want to make sure we do it with movement and then downtime. Mm -hmm. So we want that big body play that jumping into a pile of pillows or having that relay race um, or doing jumping jacks. We want that every like 90 minutes to two hours. And it doesn't have to be a big ordeal. It can be like, we are going to, when we're getting ready to go outside, I wonder how many kangaroo hops it could take you to get from here to there, or we could do a race where they're going to have some sort of challenge built in and they're moving their body. It can be playful and just a part of our everyday routine. And then we want to look at um, spinning or going upside down or swinging. We just had a little girl who she's seven. And when she comes home from school, her mom was like, she's hanging upside down off the couch to watch TV. Like, am I doing something wrong? And I was like, no, that's perfect. She's automatically pouring right into that cup. She's saying, this is what my body needs right now to help replenish there. Mm -hmm. And we, we're going to turn to these things both in the moment, but also proactively, we're going to do that ahead of time because that your nervous system is doing so much work all day long to keep you safe. It's saying, oh, I heard a car drive by. Is that important? Do I have to pay attention to it? Nope. All right. I can keep going. And then if the fire alarm goes off, your nervous system says that's important, pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. And it's in order to do this work all day long, we have to make deposits into it so that it has something to pull from. Because when we don't, what we see is that 20 minute meltdown, Mm -hmm. or we know they have this tool and they can't access it in the moment. Mm -hmm. And because they have nothing left to pull from in the same way that it is so hard at the end of the day, when we're dealing with kids, big emotions, because we have not a whole lot left to pull from in our, in our sensory oh, bag. Yeah. We're exhausted. Right. Right. Okay. Right. And so we want to pour into this throughout the day with that big body play and then some downtime where we'll schedule in like, you know what, we're going to have five minutes where the lights are going to be turned off or down low. We're not going to have background noise. Maybe kids are reading books or they're coloring and just like screen free, like kind of reset in the same way that I'm sure a lot of adults tuning in are like, yeah, I would pay big bucks to just like lay in a dark room where no oh, one's yeah. asking me for anything. <laughs> right. Like, can we bring back those naps? I love right. naps. A bead? Yeah. That sounds <laughs> for nice. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's look at a common example, uh, maybe not like the everyday example, but one that I hear about certainly a lot. Your child wants to play with your phone when you're at a restaurant out mm-hmm. to lunch. You don't want screens at the table because, mm-hmm. you know, but they want it because they're bored and they maybe saw another child doing it across the restaurant. And you talk about five phases of emotion processing from allowing to recognition, security, coping strategies, and problem solving. How would you maybe use those steps or how would you use, like, what would your response be when your child is wanting this and is starting to ramp up, getting really frustrated because you're saying that you won't be giving them your phone? even though they want it. Totally. Um, yeah. So the five phases of emotion processing are what we go through to process an emotion. The first four are about connecting with the kiddo and helping them calm their nervous system. And then the very last one is about like talking about it, problem solving, conflict resolution, et cetera. And the first one allowing is allowing them to feel with boundaries and the boundaries will be different depending on where we are. 
it not every single place should you be able to express in the same way you mm -hmm. don't get to scream and throw your body on the ground when we're at that wedding ceremony i will remove you from that situation and mm -hmm. um, the way that we express maybe at like a religious ceremony versus at home will be different the environment mm -hmm. will shift mm -hmm. um so knowing like what are your family boundaries letting kids know going into this that pre-teaching mm -hmm. of like Here's, we're going to go to the restaurant. Here's what to expect. Here are the rules. If you're feeling frustrated, if you're feeling upset, really like giving them some of those tools upfront when they're in a regulated state, when they have access to that whole brain to let them know what they can say, what they can do before we're in it, um, can be helpful and just the boundaries of like what to expect there. And so then I would follow through with that. So for me, that boundary would be that again, they can't hurt any of the stuff. They have to be respectful of all the humans around them. And if they were really escalating, I don't believe that in a public space that it, that they get to just like ruin everybody else's good time. Yeah, right. So I would remove them. <laughs> right. um, and that is a me boundary. Everybody mm -hmm. else's boundaries around that will be different, but that is one of ours. And so I'll, I would remove them from that. And then I would emotion coach them. I would do the rest of this, like separate. I would pop outside, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, and not in a punishment in a, I'm not, the rest of the restaurant gets to enjoy their meal. And then I'm going to recognize the feeling, really connect over what they wanted, let them know I get it. Again, I'm not saying I agree with it or I condone it. I just understand where you're coming from here. Um, no buts, no whatever, just I get it. Mm -hmm. And then security mm -hmm. and coping are going to go together here. I'm going to let them know that they won't feel this way forever. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to do that by using other emotion words like, yeah, it's really frustrating when you want to watch my phone because you're really in it. A lot of the times in these instances, instances where we're waiting for food or we're in a very stimulating environment, the phone can distract their nervous system and give them some dopamine that will numb if they are feeling dysregulated, if they're hangry, if they're overstimulated, it's going to be a dopamine hit. Mm -hmm. And so I would start to seek out like, what are other ways we can get some dopamine? Um, so I would validate for them that like, yeah, it's really frustrating. Your body's hungry and there's a lot of noise in that restaurant. And sometimes looking at a phone can feel good. Inside so those are like it. those withdrawals you're talking talking about mm -hmm. that there's these withdrawals happening, but they don't have a lot in their system as far as deposits. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay. And dopamine is, we call them coping mechanisms where it's like a distraction from your feelings. It's temporary. And sometimes we use that. We all do. And the goal isn't that we don't use coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. It's that we know it's temporary. So like once we stop feeding the system with that, the, the little dopamine hits, then we're going to see a withdrawal. We're going to see a drop. And so we want to pair it with like, I'm going to use some dopamine to get me into dinner, right? Like I know that this kid's hungry. I'm going to play a game or something that will produce some dopamine so that they're getting that reward system activated in their body. And then when food comes, it's actually going to calm their nervous system. That's what they really need right now. So I would look at other ways to do that. And I'm thinking of things where like, you think of like a slot machine is like the big dopamine comparison. I would be looking at things that kind of produce that. Like, are there games we can play with stuff that's on the table? Or can we play a game if they're older with like words or letters that are around here that are just going to get their brain like competitive? Um, so they're seeking those like rewards and the like winning of something tic-tac-toe on the back of a placemat or a piece of paper. Um, it doesn't have to be extravagant, but we want to activate that dopamine that they're seeking from the phone in another way. And then really what we're looking at is like, this is a holdover until their nervous system can regulate with some food. And, and so would you also recommend that a child, and there's certainly many children that would need something like that. I mean, that's normal, mm -hmm. might bring certain things along with them yeah. to the restaurant. Like what, what would you like to have with you before we eat, if we have to wait, or we used to, I would get to the, the restaurant and immediately order soup because it was like something that like, could, you know, <laughs> and my daughter was like, she's still a really good eater. So it was like, we get the turkey vegetable soup, you know, whatever. And she's eating that first while we're like waiting. It kind of took the edge off. Would you, would you say that having some of that like pre stuff happening would be helpful? 
Totally. And yeah, bring a thing. Um, or like when we were growing up, we would take the like creamers that would oh, be yes. there and see stack like how those. high we could stack yep. them. It would the be jellies. a game. Like I could uh-huh. go higher. Um, then you could go whatever. Or like, what can we build out of it? But yeah, we definitely set those ground rules. A lot of this work happens in that regulated state, the pre-teaching, the some people right. call it front loading, giving them, here's what to expect going in phones aren't going to be an option. Also adults, if phones aren't an option for kids, they're not an option for you. Um, So noted there. Yeah. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. and so if we're going to say phones aren't an option at mealtime, here's what you can do. I always want to find like, also what can you do? Not just you can't, you can't, you can't, but if phones aren't an option, what would you like to bring that you can use at the table? Or, you know, I remember last time when we were playing that game, uh, when we were playing tic-tac-toe or we were playing that word game and it was so fun. Let I wonder if we can bring some paper and some crayons so that we could play that again when we sit down. Just creating that expectation ahead of time will be huge. Okay. Now, one of the things that you, you just mentioned in your course, it's not like you got really into it, but you mentioned it and it Oh, it just was like, oh, I got to ask her about that. So when you're talking about, you're talking about coping mechanisms and coping strategies, you've mentioned these. Um, and sometimes obviously you need to use both because you need to kind of just mm-hmm. give the delay and kind of buy yourself some time before you get to the coping strategy. Um, you said that coping mechanisms might be specifically important for neurodivergent kids mm-hmm. um, in order to you know, get to those coping strategies. So can you talk a little bit about what that's about, like specifically for neurodivergent kids, because so many people are, you know, talking about their kids have ADHD, they have anxiety, they, you know, they have all kinds of, you know, autism spectrum, like they're all, you know, we've got all of it. So how does this apply to neurodivergent kids as opposed to neurotypical kids? Totally. So you know how when, like at this point, when we're looking at folks who are experiencing depression, they look at serotonin levels and see like what's happening like biochemically for you inside. And a lot of folks might end up on an SSRI, which is going to be all about your serotonin levels and helping your body produce enough and access it. And what research has started to happen around neurodivergent humans, specifically in ADHD right now, looking at this for dopamine what are the dopamine levels? We have, we call them dopamine stores, like your baseline dopamine levels in your body and are noticing that for ADHD humans specifically, and and starting to broaden outside of that to neurodivergence across the board, but looking at the, the varying levels and that maybe there's a depletion there and that having access to dopamine first can act as a bridge to being able to access that coping strategy or what we look at as serotonin or oxytocin producing again, to get nerdy. Those are the things that are going to really calm your nervous system, help you regain access in a longer term fashion to that uh, whole brain. And when we're tapping into dopamine for kids who are neurodivergent, it can truly be that like you could offer them coping strategies over and over, but they're like stuck. They can't get to it. They can't access it. And the coping mechanism, distraction, playfulness, et cetera, can act as a bridge to be able to like, okay, I'm like connected enough that now my brain feels safe enough. I can access that coping strategy. I can say, yeah, you know what? I do want to do 10 big jumps, or I do want to have a hug, or I do want to participate in that race, whatever it is to move your body but that they can't access that without the dopamine is what we're looking at now. So what might be um, a couple of your favorite mechanisms that would give them the dopamine hit that you could use at a, you know, sort of a moment's notice. Sometimes we're not like hanging out at home and it's very Mm -hmm. easy. We're Mm -hmm. out and about, we're getting ready for, you know, school and trying to get out the door. Like there's, you know, even if we are home or we're at a restaurant or we're at a store and we've got groceries, like, what are some of the quicker ones that we might be able to implement to at least buy us some time and help that child get a dopamine hit? Yeah. My most common two are distraction. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, look at that over there. Did you notice, or let me tell you a story about we're just totally distracting away from what's happening inside right now. Um, So that can be one. And then the other one is playfulness where I'll like, 
do a funny voice and like, um, I'll do a British accent or something is like a big one in our household. Or I'll just like talk like I, we have like voices of his stuffed animals that we'll use. And I'll like mm-hmm. talk like my child's stuffed animal in that voice. And it'll like make him laugh in the moment. It just kind of like distract, distracts right. him out of it is playful enough that then he's like, okay, that's silly and weird. And then he's like, now I could access those other things. Those are my two favorites. So if they, if you were playful with them and then they reacted positively to it, the, you, could you then now they've done something that was maybe not appropriate in that moment. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like, I mean, we don't want to forget about that. Right. Like they just, you know, used language with you that you didn't really quite appreciate. They did do the name calling maybe that you mm-hmm. said is not allowed in your house or they did hit their sister um, mm-hmm. that's not allowed in their house. And you know, they're really like, they're ramping up. So you can't just, you know, be like, don't hit your sister and now go to your room. Like that's not the the answer. So let's say you're in that moment. Now you're, I mean, you're frustrated. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're doing the very things that you just said you weren't, you are not allowed to do in the, in your house. And you're trying, you want to hold that boundary. But at the same time, you got a child who's neurodivergent, who needs that dopamine hit to even understand what's going on to help them. So now what do we do? Yeah. Even if they aren't neurodivergent and you tap into that coping mechanism and in, in, into the strategy. So we're going to distract, we're going to get playful. And then in that playfulness, I'm going to tap into a strategy. Like, getting them to do 10 big jumps with me mm-hmm. through a game or again, like body movement is a really big one. You're going to move that cortisol or adrenaline that's pumping through them in that moment, or like a big snuggle. I will do it in the playfulness within the distraction or within the game as much as I can. Mm-hmm. And that'll help their body really start to calm. And then once we're calm and we're kind of coming back down from this, then I'm going to let them know, I love you and I'm not mad at you. You're not in trouble. I noticed earlier you were having a hard time that your body felt out of control and your sister came in the room. And I'm wondering if you thought that she was going to come wreck that train track you'd been working so hard on. Yeah. And then I saw when she came over that you threw the train at her. I get that. I think you were feeling nervous. Is that what you were feeling? And there's like opening that up, but really like starting with that. I'm not mad at you. You're not in trouble because what I want to do is really connect and collaborate here. If they're going to be open to forming long-term strategies in that moment, it's not going to happen from fear or Mm -hmm. shame or punishment. And what will actually help in the long-term is if they know, like, I'm allowed to make mistakes. I'm allowed to have a hard time. And my parent is going to help me learn what else to do, that this is something I'm still working on. So I ask myself this question of, is it a skill that I know that they have, but they're not able to access in the moment? Or is it a skill that they're still building? Mm -hmm. And that helps me then know how to help them. Like if I know they know not to throw that train at their sister, then for me, it means they weren't able to access that in the moment that their body felt so out of control and they didn't know how to recognize that and calm it. Just like, I know I'm not supposed to yell at my child. And when I feel really dysregulated and I'm not taking care of myself, then I'll snap. It's not because I want to, and I know I'm not supposed to. So Mm -hmm. if I can't access it, then I'm like, okay, Alyssa, yep. You got to make sure you eat lunch when you feed your kid, because Mm -hmm. otherwise then you end up snapping when we're trying to get out the door and you have had a granola bar. So let's Uh, let, what about if in that same scenario, the the child threw the train and now your other child's crying because they Mm -hmm. were hit by the train. Now that, how does that shift things? Cause you certainly wouldn't want to go into some kind of like playful, let's move our arms when your child is crying and the other child was throwing things. Yeah. So I want to turn to the child who's crying and connect with them really quickly, but really the one who needs your help in that moment is the one who threw the train. 
mm-hmm. which is a hard shift for us as adults. A lot of the times, a lot of us did not grow up with like, oh, the person who threw the train gets the connection mm-hmm. <laughs> and it can feel like we're rewarding it or it's attention right. seeking. And now we're giving it attention. We're feeding it. We might, as the adult have a lot of things that come up for us and that's our bag to carry. It's not that hmm. we'll do that work outside of the moment, but mm-hmm. in the moment here, I'm going to turn to the kid who got the sister who got hit with the train and I'm going to let her know, oh, oh man, you were coming into play and that hurt your body. I love you. And I'm going to be right here. I'm going to help your brother so we can figure this out together. And then I'm going to turn. So she knows like, I'm here. I gotcha. I hear you. If she's bleeding and needs like real attention, like medically, I will pause and do that first. (laughs) But if like, she's been hit with the train and she's disappointed, sad, hurt, you know, in in the form of like, doesn't need medical attention. I'm going to validate connect and then turn to him. And I am actually going to help him move his body. I am really, truly like the part that comes up for us here. A lot of the times is that like adult narrative that was from our childhood that says like, you're not allowed to distract them or you're not allowed to be playful with them. And they need to feel inside that what they did was wrong. And Mm -hmm. the way that they'll feel it is if they're punished, if they're ignored, if they're whatever. And the reality is they know inside that what they did was wrong. Mm -hmm. And once they get calm, they can tell you, I'm not supposed to hit my sister. And what I love about this scenario is that the onlooker, the sister is seeing that she gets to make mistakes sometimes too, and that we can work through this together. And that Mm -hmm. I love you no matter what, I don't just love you. And I'm not just here to help you when you are obedient, when you're regulated, when you're calm, when you're happy, Mm -hmm. I love you. And I'm here to help you when you're having a hard time too. Mm, mm, mm. Okay. So, you know, you do talk about sibling rivalry mm-hmm. um, and h- how would you then help the sibling rivalry piece, right? We've yeah. now regulated the situation. We know we're not supposed to hit our sister. We're not supposed to throw trains at our sister. The other, you know, we're dealing with, you know, our, the sister who had gotten hurt, we've done that. So now what do we do with the piece that may be wonky because of the sibling rivalry piece? Yeah. So now when everybody's calm, then I'm going to bring them together for conflict resolution. I'm going to say, okay, you know, I don't know what to do here. Let's come together and we'll figure this out together. And I'm not going to let either kid play with the things in that moment. And sometimes Mm -hmm. we have to move to another room. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I'm going to hold a toy and I'm going to say, we're going to get back to playing with this. I'm going to hold it while we figure this out. If they are still dysregulated, it's not the time to do this. And Mm -hmm. you'll know because they'll escalate again or Mm -hmm. no, I'm using that. That's mine. Mm -hmm. Don't touch it. And if that's the case, they're not ready for this. We still need to regulate and calm. And so once we're in a calm regulated state, then I'm going to pop in and I'm just scaffolding. And I'm wondering, it sounds like Simon had a plan for the train tracks and the trains in here. And Lila, when you came in, it looks like he was feeling a little nervous about what might happen with his plan that he was thinking about in his head. Hmm. Simon, what do you think we should do next if Lila wants to feel included? Hmm. And I'm going to pause. Kids are fantastic problem solvers. And they'll throw things out like, well, she could be next. And I'll turn and say, Lila, would you like to be next? Sometimes they'll say yes. And sometimes they'll say, no, I want to play. And they'll say, oh man, she doesn't want to be next. I think she wants to play with you. She wants to feel included. What do you think she could use or how could she feel included here? They will come up with these things. We don't have to brainstorm it. We just have to scaffold that conversation. Mm -hmm. They go back and forth there. And then they usually come up with something that like, Maybe I wouldn't have come up with, or I would have thought they wanted more than Mm -hmm. that. Like, and it feels good for them. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, she can use this one blue train over here. Mm -hmm. Lila, does that work for you? Yep. Great. Then you can go on playing. Um, And then I would ask Simon, like, are there things that you're feeling nervous about still? Like if Mm -hmm. Lila comes closer, is there something you had a plan for? We all have expectations all the time, whether we're aware of them or not. 
And as adults, we learn cognitive flexibility. We learn that when something disrupts our plan, when we're driving down the road and it says detour, that we can follow this other road and go around and we'll figure out how to get where we're trying to go. And for kids, they're still building this. And so when they have this plan for their toys and somebody else comes in, everything inside of them goes off and says like, no, I have a plan for this. Mm -hmm. And we can help them determine like, and, and, and build awareness of what that plan was and then how to make a plan B, how to have that flexibility of what happens if she comes in and wants to play too, then what? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the pre-teaching idea that mm-hmm. you mentioned. It's a great strategy to helping all children, especially children who have anxiety, you know, like are a little bit more of the worriers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we're, let's say we are, let's say we're going to a big festival. There's going to be all kinds of people, people that they don't know, you know, since we've talked a lot lately about diversity and inclusion and wanting to expose our children to all different types of people, uh, really important so that they're more likely to be advocates and be more likely to be accepting and open and kind. So let's say this was a festival that celebrated all kinds of people. Maybe there are different people that don't look different from them. Maybe they are different from them. I don't know. How might you use pre-teaching to get them prepared to be in this festival that they may, you thinking to yourself, may get overwhelmed, might feel nervous about being around different people, being big, you know, lots of people, sights, sounds, all that kind of stuff. What would you do? Yeah. So two things. One, I would let them know what to expect with as much as I know. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to go to this festival and it, I've never been before. I'm so curious what they're, what's going to be there and who we might see. I don't know if we'll see people we know, or if we're going to meet new people. Now, when we're going, I actually just had a story pop up, a real life story that happened where I was driving a three-year-old to this early childhood rally and he doesn't love crowds or big groups. Mm -hmm. And on the way there, I told him, I I knew they were going to be giving out capes for kids that were there. Right. I was like, we are going to a superhero party. Mm -hmm. And when we get there, there's going to be a lot of people. And some of them are my friends and they know who I am. And some of them, I don't know yet. When we get there, first I walked through like, what's going to happen? We're going to get there. We're going to go inside and have lunch. And then we're going to go outside and people are going to talk. And here's what you can do when they're talking. If you're feeling bored or you don't want to listen to them and gave him an outline of the day. And I was like, now when we go in and my friends are excited to see me, they might say, hi, Alyssa. And they've never met you before. And when somebody's meeting you for the first time, what do you think they might ask you? Mm -hmm. What do you think they might be curious about? And he was like, they might ask, what's your favorite dinosaur? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, they might. (laughs) They might. We'll keep that one in the bag. Yeah. And I was like, what would you say? And so then he answered. And then he was like, they might ask, do you like chocolate? Right. So he's brainstorming and (laughs) we're going through those answers and I'm validating those. It's like, yeah, they might. And what would your answer be? And I was like, now, sometimes when I meet new people, I ask them, what's your name? Mm -hmm. And so then he shared his name and I was like, they might ask, how old are you? Mm-hmm. And he was like, I'm three. And so we like rehearsed this so that mm-hmm. he knew a little bit of what was to come. And then it was hilarious. He walked into the room and almost to like preempt it. He was like, hi, I'm Will. And I'm three. Like yes. I just like built it out. Like <laughs> I will preempt all your big questions. Now let's move on to the dinosaur question. I'm not <laughs> That's that prepared. Right. That's right. But letting them know like what to expect, what people might ask them, how they might engage and kind of mm-hmm. giving them a little bit of those scripts ahead mm-hmm. of time that they could use. If there are going to be people that they could play with, if we're going to be near a playground, like if you see a kid and they're new and you really want to play with them, or you're curious about, it, here's how you can enter that social group. Essentially, here's how you can mm-hmm. say hi. 
here's how you can introduce yourself or get curious with them. Um, and if you have any questions when we're there, if you're feeling nervous, you can always squeeze my hand and I'll get down and I can listen to you and we can talk about it and figure it out together. So I would do that, the like front loading pre-teaching of what we know, what they can say, and then how in the moment they can communicate with you that is non-verbal. So if they're mm -hmm. feeling overwhelmed and like they can't access all their language, I want to give them some sort of non-verbal communication, like squeezing my hand, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, and then I want to pour into their sensory bank. If it's going to be a big crowd, it's going to pull from your nervous system. Remember, it's always trying to keep you safe. So it's scanning the crowd to say like, what is happening all around me? Am I safe? And in doing that, it's exhausting your nervous system. So we want to pour into it. I want to get some movement in before we go. I want to make sure that they have food, that they're mm -hmm. as rested as they can be um, mm -hmm. so that we're setting them up for success. Mm. Those are all really helpful. Um, I know that we're coming to the end of our, our podcast episode. Would you tell me what your favorite activity is that you, you do, um, that you just sort of like this one you've got to know about when it comes to emotions or kids or regulation or anything like that, what would you say is like your favorite activity that you recommend or use yourself? Yeah. I am not a very playful person. Mm -hmm. Like I, it, as an early child educator, I think that's shocking for a lot of people. And I find the most helpful tool mm -hmm. to be playful in those regulated moments, like taking those stuffed animals or their characters and doing voices and modeling this work in a regulated state. So like mm -hmm. somebody has like, they were playing Pokemon the other day. Um, I was with some kids that were playing and they, I don't know anything about Pokemon, mm -hmm. honestly, nor do I care about yes, Pokemon. Yes, right, right. Like, got into it with them and like chose a character and then created a scenario where like that character was having a hard time. Mm -hmm. And then I could pop in with another character and like model this in a way that's playful mm -hmm. where they're learning that. Right. Um, really getting into their play and mm -hmm. what they're interested in and modeling these things, modeling that yes. language, modeling how to react when they're frustrated, um, things like that. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, talk, we talk about like bringing, going through their door so you can bring them through yours, um, entering their world so you can bring them into yours. I, I think that's all great. I, I, I remember in your course, like talking about um, when, when somebody's like nervous about going to the doctor and you're like having the teddy bear, like, or the doll, like, oh, they're nervous about going to the doctor. Like, you know, like, let's take them to the doctor here. And like, and, you know, taking them through the whole process. Oh, they are getting a shot. Like what, you know, how long might that last? And, you know, actually pre-teaching, but through the play, that is a good one. I like that. Give us your top tip. What would you love people to come away with after watching your course, after uh, listening to this podcast, when it comes to kids, emotions, conflict, regulation, all that jazz? The goal isn't for anyone in this world to be regulated and happy all the time. Mm. That you're not failing as a parent if your kid does something and you feel annoyed or dysregulated by it, you're not failing. That makes sense. They do things that are annoying all the time. My child dumped his entire cup of milk this morning at breakfast. That's annoying. I wasn't looking at him like, oh yeah, I feel fine inside. Like, no, <laughs> I feel annoyed. Right. And like, I'm not failing for feeling. Mm -hmm. And when he's having a hard time with an emotion, when he isn't happy, when he isn't calm, I'm not failing because he's having a hard time. He's human and he's going to have different emotions too. The, mm -hmm. No one on this planet earth, unless there's a chemical imbalance, is in a regulated state all the time. And it's not the goal. Mm. I really like that. I'm not failing for feeling, giving that. I mean, not only do we feel, but sometimes we react in ways that we're not overly thrilled about. Um, mm -hmm. Me having a PhD in child development, like sometimes I'm like, Hey, is that the best you could do? Like in that moment, really with all that, you know, that was the, that was the choice you made, but I, it was a reaction, right? Mm -hmm. We can't, we can't fault ourselves for being human and having a reaction. And I loved that 
Wendy Young, she, she does Kidlutians. She said like, who better to raise a human being than a fellow human being? Like, <laughs> I yeah, love that. Yeah, yeah. Like you're human. And so you should be raising this child. And, and then, you know, we won't be getting into it today, maybe at a future episode, but then, you know, going into the repair and mm-hmm. apologizing and saying what you wish you did and differently and, and giving your kids permission to mess up and knowing that you do as well. Yeah, that's really important. Give us the resource of the week. Where can we go to get more information about you, your course and the work you're doing? Yeah, so our um, website, seedandso.org is like the hub and our parents page there has like free downloads, uh, what to say or what to do in the moment, those five days of emotion processing you were talking about. There's a free download for that. There's a free download for these calming activities kids. And then our courses are there too. Um, pod, we have a podcast as well. Our Instagram, everything like for parents is on that parent page from our website, uh, really the hub. Okay. Excellent. And I'll have all of that information on the show notes. And I just want to thank you, Alyssa, for being on the show today, for talking about all the great things that you know, and that you study and that you get all nerdy about. I think it's wonderful and it's really appreciated. Uh, so thank you from the bottom of my heart. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I could do this all day with you. Uh, I agree. I, I always feel like I can't believe 45 minutes has gone by, but it has. So <laughs> thank you. I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I know you have yours. So let's discuss them. You can go up, uh, go up on the Facebook page, the Dr. Robin Silverman page. We can chat about it. DrRobinSilverman.com or on Twitter under Dr. Robin. I'm also on Instagram under Dr. Robin Silverman. I'm going to be going back and forth with Alyssa um, and, and we'll be you know going back and forth and we can retweet, get involved in the conversation on Instagram, like on Alyssa's page, on my page. Like, let's talk about this stuff. Give us your scenarios. Give us what you know triggered for you. Uh, give us your questions because I think it's really important. And if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it because people, when they see your reviews and with with the algorithm, which I don't know how exactly it works, but each time you give those five-star reviews, it really pushes that um, our podcast up so that more people see it. That means more people will see Alyssa and see what she's doing and be able to use her strategies in their own homes, which will make for better kids. So thank you very much for that. That's all the time we have for today, my fellow parents, leaders, and educators. Thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please go to drrobinsilverman.com. There's so many great podcasts up there, and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, You've got this. We have all done that. You're here and you're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. But of course, we don't know what's going to happen. So let's do it today. Like you made a mistake. That's okay. Let's try again today. Parenting typically provides us with the ultimate do-over. So if you haven't talked about this stuff with your kids, if you haven't gone over emotional regulation in some way or another, not by giving a lecture on emotion regulation, but about all the things that Alyssa brought up today, you can start now. You can start tonight. You can start tomorrow. Let's do it. I see you and I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robinson with how to talk to kids about anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. Listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or